0: It's TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the sports, most of the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. Podcast number 238 for April 17th, 2011. Recorded April 15th, Tax Day, sort of, except Tax Day is the 18th this year. Tax Day is the 18th this year. That's because of the observance of Emancipation Day on April 16th in D.C. The Emancipation Proclamation, signed on April 16th, 1862, by Abraham Lincoln, became effective on January 1st, 1863. And all this talk of dates... You'll notice I got the year right this week. A few weeks ago, when I described my week without Windows, one of the first challenges I mentioned was the inability to move passwords from my Windows password manager, KeyPass 2, to the Linux system. The solution involved creating an encrypted directory and storing a spreadsheet file there. It worked, but it wasn't very elegant. The other problem I had with KeyPass was that it didn't work on Apple's OS ten. I needed to synchronize the password file manually on two computers at home and one at the office, so I wondered, might there not be a better way? Indeed there is, and it's called LastPass. Because passwords are stored on the LastPass server, you can use them from any computer. And because LastPass is a plug-in for all of the major browsers, it works equally well on Apple, Linux, and Windows computers. The basic service is free. There is a premium version for $12 a year. Okay, I hear you shouting, You want me to store my passwords where? On the internet? Yeah, actually I do. Your backup files may already be on a remote server that's available via the internet. Perhaps you pay some bills via your bank's website. What about the IRS tax agencies and the regional taxing authorities? Have you filed your federal or state returns online after filling out all of the... Paperwork at a website. I have, and then I visited the regional taxing authority's horrid website to file my local return. You're wondering, are there risks? Well, of course, but there's a risk involved in just getting out of bed in the morning. A different risk involved in deciding not to get out of bed in the morning. So it's a question of risk assessment. The company that provides the service is called Marvisol. And according to Business Week, Marvisol Inc. Doing business as LastPass provides single sign-on capability solutions to organizations. Still quoting Business Week, the company offers a password manager that allows users a secure method to log into websites and applications. It also provides a single sign-on in mobile and shared workstations and environments from various computers and mobile devices. The company was founded in 2008 and is based in Vienna, Virginia. Again, that information is from Business Week. Because the passwords are encrypted and stored on Marvisol's servers, you might wonder what happens if you can't reach Marvisol's servers. They're down, the company goes out of business, whatever. Well, the passwords are also encrypted and stored on your computer, so they're always available. They're on the server to allow for access from other computers and to allow you to synchronize across computers or across browsers. What's on the company's server is actually an encrypted backup copy of your data. If you have an existing password manager or if you use a browser to remember passwords, LastPass can import them. The import feature supports files from Internet Explorer, Firefox, Roboform, OnePassword, KeyPass, My Password Safe, Password Agent, Password Safe, Zipper, which is spelled with an SX, and it ceased operation on april fifteenth anyway. Passpack and Turbo Passwords, so if you use any of those, you're set. Particularly if you use more than one browser, you should install the application separate from any browser, even though you can install individual plugins for each browser. Installing at the operating system level installs for all browsers, and if you've installed on multiple computers, be sure to import passwords from just one of the locations. Importing from multiple locations will result in a lot of duplication. Shortly after setting up LastPass, I noticed an option to test my passwords. Passwords shouldn't be repeated even for trivial accounts, but I had repeated some for those kinds of accounts, so I knew they would count against me. Unfortunately, I had also reused passwords for some decidedly non-trivial accounts. So my initial score was what I consider a miserable 50.7. means about half of the LastPass customer base does a better job than I do. My passwords ranged from lousy earning red marks, to bad with orange, fairly decent with yellow and light green, and good with solid green bars. LastPass, for its own security and yours, requires a password, and that's one you will have to remember for yourself. When I checked my choice for that password, LastPass told me it was a pretty good one. LastPass appears on your browser by default as a red square with a white asterisk in it. If you don't like that, when you can choose something else, actually it's only red when you have authenticated your identity by providing your master password. Until you do that, it's a dark gray. The drop-down menu then provides access to the program's various features. When you create or capture passwords, you can review them in the LastPass vault. And from there, you can select a link and open the associated website, although there is an easier way. You can edit the account information, delete an entry, or share it. And if you have to send somebody a password now, you need to share a password with somebody, what do you do? Well, you probably email it. That's highly insecure. LastPass provides a way to securely share a password if you need to. When you look at your password entry on the edit screen, you'll see the URL that it goes to, the username, and optionally, you can view the password. By default, it's hidden, but you can reveal it on the screen. There's also a place for notes. That's pretty handy, and the notes are encrypted, too. Part of the LastPass user interface is a drop-down list of recently used sites that makes opening your favorite sites easy. And if your browser automatically opens several sites when you start it, LastPass can log into those for you. I have nearly 200 sites that I've divided into categories so that navigating to them is fast. That's 200 sites with passwords. In this way, LastPass not only manages the passwords, but also the bookmarks, so that all of the sites you use are available on all of your computers, regardless of the browser or the operating system. It's well known that the best passwords are long and contain a variety of characters, uppercase, lowercase, numeric, and symbol. The problem, though, with a password such as uppercase C5, exclamation point, 6, uppercase E, lowercase T, lowercase Q, caret, uppercase A, uppercase S, percent sign, uppercase A, lowercase M, lowercase H, uppercase T, is that nobody can remember it. Do you have any idea what I just said? People write down secure passwords such as these, and that instantly makes them insecure. Because LastPass remembers the passwords, you can use these high-quality passwords even for trivial sites. LastPass can fill in forms, too, with whatever information you provide on a per-profile basis. You might have one profile with your home billing and shipping address, a Visa card, and your home email. Another profile might have your home billing address, a business shipping address, an American Express card, and your office email address. If you do a lot of online shopping, you'll find that to be a real time saver. Another useful feature is the ability to store secure notes in LastPass, and these are separate from the secure notes that are actually associated with a username and password. You can create a secure note that is not associated with any account and use it to store things like social security numbers for all members of your family or driver's license numbers. It's a good way to store any information that you might need but probably won't remember. As long as a computer with Internet access is nearby, you have access to the information. So now the alarm bells are probably really ringing in your head. I essentially just mentioned using a public computer to access your own personal data. Yes, you actually can do that safely. If you log on to the LastPass website, no files are stored on the public computer. None at all. If you're using an untrusted public computer and need to access your LastPass data but are hesitant to do so because of potential keyloggers, for example... LastPass provides one-time passwords as an option for securely accessing your account. A one-time password is, as the name implies, a password that is used exactly once. You set it up in advance. Typically, you'd set up a list of them. You carry around the list with you, and you can carry it around in the clear because nobody knows what it is. When you need one of the LastPass one-time passwords, you use it. That allows you to log in but that password then becomes invalid, can never be used again, so even if a keylogger gets it, doesn't matter. Using the LastPass web interface to log on to one of your secure sites won't expose the username and password either, but you may still be concerned about sending and receiving data securely, even with a secure connection, if you're on a public computer. So use those features with care. When you log on to the LastPass website, you'll find additional management options. You can delete multiple entries simultaneously or move a lot of entries from one category to another if you want to. LastPass also reports to you the IP address, time used, and browser type that corresponds to recent uses of your online account. Assuming you use a secure password for LastPass, you'll probably never see anything that's very surprising when you look at that screen. The local copy of your passwords is stored in an encrypted file. You'll see a section of my encrypted file with all my passwords on the TechBiter Worldwide website. You won't be able to read it, and neither will anybody else. LastPass provides several useful recommendations for making your passwords more secure. For example, eliminate duplicate passwords. Having identical or similar passwords for multiple websites is dangerous. LastPass's security analysis clearly identifies sites when that happens. You should then manually visit each of the sites and change the password to something that is both unique and strong. LastPass ranks passwords. Weak passwords should be changed to something more secure by visiting the website and changing the password. LastPass can generate the password and automatically update the account record. If you have several hundred accounts, this might take you all day, but it's time pretty well spent. Obviously, you should stop storing passwords insecurely. Storing passwords in a browser or on scraps of paper in an email or any format that's unencrypted is a needless, serious risk. When you install LastPass, the installer will offer to import passwords from your browser and can then optionally delete them from the browser. And some people will consider this just a little over the top. LastPass recommends using a multi-factor authentication scheme. This is an advanced feature, but it's available even in the free version. It significantly increases the security of your confidential information. Users of the premium version can elect to use a YubiKey multi-factor authentication device. You have to purchase that separately. Increasing security also increases complexity and simply logging on will take you longer. So whether the extra trouble is worth the enhanced security is something that every user must decide individually. And I spent some time trying to improve my own score. I spent a few hours working to eliminate some of the duplicate passwords, and my score was 70.1%. That put me in 8,671st place. That's better, but there's still room for improvement. Because some passwords are, by design, shared across multiple corporate entities, I will always have some duplicate passwords. And I may not spend a lot of time improving my credentials for newspaper sites. What's important, though, is that my critical sites now all have unique and secure passwords. The bottom line for LastPass, 5CATs, Secure passwords no longer have to get in the way. LastPass is the easiest and most comprehensive password management system I've seen. It works on most operating systems and with most browsers, and the premium version adds support for most smartphones. The security is simply awesome, and the price, free if you don't need the premium features, is incredible. Twelve bucks if you want the premium version, and that's not twelve bucks a month, it's twelve bucks a year. For more information, visit the LastPass website. You'll find a link to it from the TechBiter Worldwide website. One of my favorite image organizers, Thumbs Plus, is about to release Service Pack 1 for version 8 of the application. Version 8 was introduced in 2010, but I have not yet reviewed it because the initial release of version 8 was pretty badly flawed. Several months and four betas later, SP1 for Thumbs Plus 8 makes the application one that I can recommend enthusiastically, as enthusiastically as I recommended earlier versions. Thumbs Plus comes from Sirius Software. It's been an important part of TechBiter Worldwide and before that technology corner, and I'm delighted to see that version 8, which was released several months ago, is about to be updated. Here's something you might not think about when you're looking at a graphics application, Unicode support. After all, Unicode is for text, and graphics applications are, well, for graphics. But Thumbs Plus 8 is a Unicode application. Because of this, it supports folder names, file names, and data in any language, regardless of the addition of Windows on the computer. That's good news. The other good news is that this makes version 8 incompatible with Windows 95 through Windows ME. If you're still using one of those operating systems, you probably already know that you're not exactly on the cutting edge of 21st century computing. And most parts of Thumbs Plus are now ready to be built as a 64-bit application. That will allow much larger images to be loaded and handled. Some parts will have to remain 32-bit in order to call 32-bit libraries from other vendors, at least until those become available in 64-bit form. Python has been added to Thumbs Plus for use as a scripting language. So what? Well, that enables both Serious Software and users to extend the capabilities of the application. The developers say that more parts of Thumbs Plus will be moved to Python to allow easier customization The ability to add Python routines will be added to the user interface in version 8.1. Several important features were broken in the initial version 8 release, but most of those have now been fixed. If you're a longtime user of the application who believes in its future, you might want to check out the perpetual license. Buyers who opt for the perpetual license will receive all future versions at no cost. For more information you can see the Thumbs Plus website. You can expect a full review of the application when version 8.1 arrives. And if you want to try it in the meantime, you can download the beta and try that for free. The cube face worm should probably be called Kubikoff. After all, cube is an anagram for book, so ekoth, ecaf would be the corresponding anagram for face. CoopFace, which began its nefarious life on Facebook, has finally moved on, though. Kubeface infected a lot of computers last year, but it hasn't been seen on Facebook since about mid-February. You may have encountered it. A Facebook link would direct users to a fake YouTube video. The video wouldn't play unless you downloaded an updated codec. That would be a big warning sign. The codec, of course, turned out to be a malicious application. Security specialists considered Kubeface to be among the most serious social networking threats. The attack vector was via private message with a link to the supposed video, and often the links were obfuscated through URL-shortening utilities such as goo.gl, tinyurl.com, and bit.ly. The attackers appear to have monetized their service by using compromised computers to send spams for fake drugs. The command and control system consists of at least 150 servers that maintain a botnet of indeterminate size. Facebook began actively blocking kubeface attacks last year. Eventually, that apparently forced the fraudsters to try other means. In short circuits, I wonder, could this be considered a flip-flop? Flip, a digital video camera, originally made by Pure Digital but scooped up a couple of years ago by Cisco Systems, is still one of the most popular video recorders on the market. Cisco's killing it anyway. Since buying the company in 2009 for just under $600 million, Cisco has done nothing to improve the Flip. It's now being eclipsed by smartphones, even though it's still selling well. So, so long, Flip. Cisco is, I quote, making key targeted moves to align operations to support its network-centric platform strategy. That's Cisco CEO John Chambers. It's too bad the company didn't think of that before buying and then abandoning Flip. Instead of trying to sell the business unit, Cisco's just going to put it out of business. I suppose to Cisco, $590 million, what they paid for Flip, is pretty much pocket chain, so it's hardly worth thinking about the people who work there. Or those who have purchased the company's products. More than 500 people will be losing their jobs, but that's not much more than a rounding error for Cisco. It's only about 1% of the company's workforce. Flip has been copied by other manufacturers, but it is still the number one seller in that particular market niche. In fact, the Flip was the top selling video camera in the US last year, with about a quarter of the market. Two and a half million cameras sold. But Cisco's killing the company. And it was a capable little camera, too. This year, I was the judge for an online video competition, and two of the videos that I judged were created using a flip. Had the videographer not mentioned that fact in the accompanying paperwork, I never would have guessed. Despite Cisco's network-centric platform strategy, a quote there, The company never made any attempt to give the flip any networking capabilities, not even basic Wi-Fi. And this is the device used by millions to create and upload YouTube videos. Criminal short-sightedness. Sorry, not an indictable offense. Most U.S. citizens probably think the U.S. is a high-tech leader. Well, not exactly that would be Sweden. And we're not number two either. That would be Singapore. Third and fourth, Finland and Switzerland. The U.S. is in fifth place. Now we can still proudly announce we're ahead of Canada, eighth place, Norway, ninth place, Germany in 13th place, Britain in 15th, and to the delight, I'm sure, of some, my family's homeland, France, 20th place. World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland, ranks 138 nations on more than 70 economic and social characteristics. The survey began in 2001, and this year highlights what are being called the Asian Tigers. Taiwan is one step behind the U.S. South Korea is in 10th place, Hong Kong 12th, Japan 19th. Indonesia moved from 67th place all the way up to 53rd, mainly as the result of improved educational standards. The study says more than 50 nations, more than 50 nations, have better math and science education than the U.S. 47 nations have lower-cost telephone service than the U.S. 75 nations have a higher percentage of people who use mobile phones. And even the category of personal computer ownership, the U.S. lags behind 23 other countries. But we did beat France. (coughs) And speaking of education, next fall's incoming class of kindergarten students in Auburn, Maine will all be given iPads. At a time when school systems are generally having to make do with less, a reasonable question might be whether this is genius or folly. Another reasonable question might be how many of the devices will still be functional at the end of a school year after a year in the hands of kindergarten students. The district will have 305 year old students, so that's an expenditure, assuming some sort of discount of at least $120,000. The iPads will be used to teach letters, numbers, drawing, and music, according to Superintendent Tom Morrill. Maine became the first state to give all 7th and 8th graders Apple laptop computers. That happened in 2002. Since then, the program has grown, and about half of all Maine high school students are given laptop computers. Some education experts say that, overall, computers are not a good investment for schools, but others point to the ability of those devices, and particularly devices such as the iPad, to interest and engage students. Morrill says most of the criticism he's heard so far centers on the cost. The plan is to raise money for the hardware from foundations and from federal, state, and local government agencies. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. Thanks. Bye-bye.